Dear fellow redeemed, we consider briefly um, our gospel lesson, especially our gospel lesson from the gospel of Luke chapter 16. And as Jesus tells this parable, one of the things that we have to see is that when Jesus tells pretty much any parable, we're looking for one particular point of comparison, one point of understanding. He doesn't give us all the details so that we try to parse out what all these details mean and draw applications from them. I talked about that a little bit this this last Thursday at our doctrine class when we talked a little bit about the parable of the Good Samaritan as an example. That is one of the parables where Jesus gives a lot of detail about the people who pass by and this Samaritan who stops and pours on oil and wine and then he takes the man to an inn and pays for his stay. And the point that Jesus was making in that parable was that the initial question, who's my neighbor, should be turned around to how can I be a neighbor to someone else? Jesus didn't give all the details so that we would try to parse out what is the oil, what is the wine, what is the inn, etc. And when we get to today's parable, it's probably one of the more challenging parables of Jesus, as if we haven't had enough challenging statements from Jesus over the last couple of weeks. In this challenging parable from Jesus, he holds before our eyes this shrewd manager, this dishonest manager who adjusted the bills that had been owed to his master. And yes, he had been entrusted with all managing all the business affairs you think of, like an accountant working for a large firm. That might be a good example. He had been entrusted with all the bookkeeping, and out of, out of all that bookkeeping, he was supposed to make a profit for himself as well. But that he had been um, accused of wasting the master's possessions. And so the master is going to cut him loose. And the one point of comparison that we see is Jesus' summary statement uh, toward the very bottom. The children of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the children of the light are. And that opens the door to the very bottom, the last verse. No servant can serve two masters. Because that's where he's driving with this whole parable. The entire parable here that we see beginning in verse 1. He had spoken to his disciples, and the Pharisees are standing right nearby. So what is it that a Christian can learn from a dishonest manager? What is it that a Christian can learn from somebody who cooks the books, from somebody who perhaps runs a Ponzi scheme like Bernie Madoff and and, uh, promises 20% returns to everyone who invests with him, What is it that a Christian could learn from someone like Enron CEO Kenneth Lay, who prepared his own golden parachute even as the company crashed? And that's the question. Not just what we can learn, but what is their attitude? All along the way, all along the way, we see this attitude of watching out for oneself and understanding the value that God has placed into their hands. These unbelieving people, even this shrewd and dishonest manager, he understands the ability that his, the, man, the money that he was managing would have in this world. 
He understood that even, even as he kept his job and he had his pink slip in his hand and he was within the last two weeks of his employment, he understood that he could make a place, make a way for himself to be welcomed into the home of another. And even larger than that, even larger from that is this concept that he is only a manager. And that even though he is only a manager, he knows how to use that wealth under his management for his own good. So what is it that a Christian can learn from a dishonest CEO or a shrewd manager? And you look at it. Jesus speaks this parable to his disciples. And he speaks this parable to his disciples because he wants them to understand he wants them to understand, first and foremost, the value that they have already. Because all of our readings today, all of our readings today talking about the value of, of money and wealth in this world, and Jesus says, time out. It's not really about that. No servant can serve two masters. That even those who live in this world, even the unbelieving and those who manage the millions, they do not, then they cannot bring about any good beyond this life. And how often is it that the Christian either pays so much attention or pays no attention? Jesus encourages you and me to serve him with such wholehearted focus that everything else kind of falls into line after that. The people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than are the children of the light. And right before us, it's as if to say, where is your heart? Because that's what Jesus wants. Where is your heart? Because you, you certainly have your fair share of worries, and the media will certainly amplify those when we hear all the talk of stock markets and inflation and maybe seeing some of those effects in our own life, it might be a little bit uncomfortable. Or it might take a little bit reconfiguring of expenses to try to balance it with the income. And even though Jesus is concerned about providing for you, what he wants is your heart. What he wants is your heart. And the possibility of worry stealing away your Christian joy is too great. And the possibility of even concern about what you have or what you don't have stealing away your love for the Lord and stealing away your attention for this Jesus is too great. Because you realize that, that the wealth of this world and everything that it can, can offer it makes all the same promises that Jesus makes. Do you want a, a happier today? Do you want a safer and more secure tomorrow? Do you want to make sure that you are well provided for, that you all have nothing to worry about, and that your kids will be okay? And the answer from the investment advisor, well, make sure you invest at this rate for this period of time, and then it'll all work out. But where is your heart? And it's simple enough, when we see these readings from our Lord, from the richest man who ever lived, King Solomon, 
in the Old Testament, to Paul writing to young pastor Timothy, to Jesus talking about and holding up this shrewd manager as an example, it's simple enough to say, well, if only I had a little bit more. And I'm glad that, that I don't have the same sort of worry, concern about, about obsession with dollars and money as, uh, as somebody who is far more wealthy than I. Jesus hasn't given me that much to obsess about and to worry about, now has he? But you flip that around. And the question of providing for oneself and managing well can become an all-consuming pursuit. Not that we intend it, but it's the worry in the back of the mind when you thought, you know, the groceries would be $60 and it's 85 It's the worry in the back of the mind when you get the note from the electric company that rates are only going up 15% this year because they negotiated a new contract instead of rates going up 35% like it is for everybody else. It's the worry that comes to the forefront when all of a sudden you look around and you're like, um, that's not what I was planning for and expecting. And that worry can give us a little bit of insight into the exact truth that Jesus is aiming toward, that no one can serve two masters. So why? Why does he talk about this dishonest manager as an example? Because this man understood the value in this world, for sure. But that's all he had. And the greater truth for the Christian is that is that you and I have been entrusted with a similar role of management. You think of the whatever God has entrusted to you. He's entrusted you with a similar role of, of managing and stewarding. I think that's the other word that we might use. Of managing all the blessings that God has poured into your lap. And it's easy to see that when... It's easy to see that, but it's far easier to look and say and see what we don't have. Maybe that's the other side of it. When we talk about worry, you turn it around and you see discontent. We talk about worry and we turn it around and we see what does our Lord and where is my God and how will he provide for me because I don't see it. Where is my Lord? when I am worried about these things and I did run the math again and I heard the headlines. Where is my God and why has he provided so much for somebody in this world? Like, I don't know, you name it. Jeff Bezos. Why has he provided so much for somebody in this world? When think of all the good that could be accomplished if God had given a little bit of that to me. And sometimes discontent like that shows up in the most surprising of places or cloaks itself in the most Christian of, of language. But the bottom line, no one can serve two masters. That our Lord is the one who has called you to manage a portion of his good. Our Lord is the one who has called you to manage your life. Our Lord is the one who has called you to, to manage 
your relationships with one another. Our Lord is the one who has entrusted you with the ability to, to make a living and the ability to provide for a family, the ability to plan for the future. Our Lord is the one who wants you to see that he hasn't left you out. And so when he says, when he says and holds up this, this shrewd manager as an example, he says that the children of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the children of the light are. I tell you, make friends with unrighteous mammon so that when it runs out, they will welcome you into eternal dwellings. The manager knew that his time was coming to an end. He knew that his paycheck was coming to a stop. And so he thought ahead for perhaps the first time in his life. He thought ahead to say what's going to happen in two weeks or two months. He thought ahead and even, yes, he scrambled, but he did. He finally thought ahead to say, how can I use this so that tomorrow or the next year or the next decade, I might be able to be welcomed by somebody who considers me a friend. Fellow managers of God's treasures. And not just the abilities that he's given you, not just the wealth that he's given you, not just the growth in your 401k or 403b or whatever it is. Fellow managers of God's treasures. One day soon, you and I will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. And one day soon, we want, to, we want to be able to say that we have used our Lord's treasures, all of them, so that friends will have been one to welcome us. Put another way, that for the time of your life, your God has promised to take care of you, to give you your daily bread, to bless you. For the time of your life, your Lord has promised to give you his word so that even if, even if you look at the bank account and it wasn't what you were hoping for, wasn't what you were expecting, you can know that at the same time, this Lord still cares for you each and every day and he's given to you your forgiveness of sins in a very tangible way. And that in the pages of his word, he has made promises that continue to surpass and provide a greater return than anything in this world could offer. As managers together of all of God's treasures, both the, the physical and tangible, as well as the spiritual, the question that Jesus proposes to you and to me, how is our managing going? How is the, the management going? Where we understand our relationship to the manager who has simply entrusted these things to our hands for a time. Where we understand that, um, that we live under this, this one who has given us everything and we want to serve him with what we have. Not just take the shortcut and serve ourselves with what we have or forget about the manager who has placed himself over us. Fellow managers of the treasures of God, is it possible that you've thought more about inflation and your retirement account 
than about your growth in the Word of God. Fellow managers of all of God's treasures, is it possible that we take for granted the blessings that our Lord gives here while pay very close attention to the quarterly statements that come to our mailbox? Leave those things to the world because they know how to manage it. You and I have a greater treasure. You and I have a greater treasure as people who have been called into managing all of God's treasures. Yes, the, the worldly treasures, and yes, whatever your income may be and whatever, it, whatever its source may be, God has given that to you to manage and provide for your daily needs. But when he talks about, talks about being welcomed by friends into eternal dwellings, Far be it from me to let any sort of worry or discontent take root so that I forget about the treasures or say, oh yeah, my Lord's given me everything, but this is what he hasn't. Because that's very easy to do. And I'll be the first to admit it. It's very easy to say, yes, I know that my Lord gives me Forgiveness of sins, life and salvation. Yes, he get, he's given me his word. And there's a Bible for every, every shelf of every bookshelf of every room in our house. But golly, if the Lord just gave me a little bit right here in the app that I can count and see and scroll, then, then life would be okay. No servant can serve two masters. Indeed, either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. And our Lord knows that truth through and through. Because as the master, the master of all, who has entrusted everything to you and to me, he himself took on the lowest place, that of the servant, to take the debt of our mismanagement and our misplaced hearts, to take the debt of even the, the hidden idolatry or the worry, to take all of that upon himself and to give to you and to me free of charge with no interest forever, to give to you and to me the riches of his eternity, where he has promised to you and to me that with this word, with this word, he gives and actually gives forgiveness of sins and life and salvation. And with even, even the, the, the little bit that we might set aside for an offering here, that he has promised to accomplish his work through his ministry so that, so that when the day comes and, and you are in front of the altar there instead of sitting in the pew over here, when the day comes, you can, you can know that you manage well and you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings because, because a portion of whatever God had entrusted to you for this life was used to bring the gospel to another. That God wants to use even the, the earthly wealth and the things that pass away. 
He wants to use all of the things that he entrusts to you and to me in order to, main, in order to, um, in order to gain eternal friends for you and for me. So that, so that when you leave this world, you'll be welcomed. Maybe by somebody that you know, maybe by somebody that you don't know. But to think of that, even, even one person in the viewpoint of eternity, that's a lot. And to enter heaven and in the, the rejoicing of the forgiveness of sins, life and salvation, to enter heaven and then to see somebody or hear of somebody who is there because of the effort that you had invested here, because of the, the, the word that you had shared, or because of the ministry that you had supported. And it might be somebody that you don't know, but it's just as true that this Jesus wants to continue to accomplish all sorts of good things that, that he has entrusted to you and to me the means that he wants to use in order to gain friends for him for eternity. So what can a Christian learn from a crooked CEO or a dishonest manager? Well, he's definitely got his priorities straight. They're, they're selfish, but he's thinking ahead to tomorrow. How much greater that the Christian who knows who knows that even the discontent has been forgiven by our Lord, that even the, the worry has been taken away with the promise that he will provide daily bread. The Christian who knows that God wants to accomplish the most wonderful and greatest things, even through the absolutely free word of God, that the Christian knows these things, and at the same time, that our Lord has entrusted to our hands the additional means to to plan together, to work together, and to think, how can we bring this word of life to more? I think together with that, that's probably why, why two things. Why here at Resurrection, number one, we try to emphasize um, spiritual growth. You know, time in a Bible class, time in the word of God, because that's how Jesus builds his church. But then secondly, you'll notice, even if you flip through the bulletin, forward and backward and upside down, you'll notice that we, we, never, we never print you know, a comparison of what is our budget, what is the income. I mean, we can, I can get you that report if you're so interested. Um, but we don't print really the offerings in the bulletin. Because what matters is the proclamation of the word and hopefully with the teaching and the Christian sense that you have been given, you consider for yourself not on the basis of what the congregation needs in order to continue functioning, but on the basis of what your Lord has, has blessed you with and what the Lord has given to you with the understanding that, you know, maybe, maybe times change and inflation does really affect the budget. But the bottom line is that this Jesus doesn't change. That this Jesus, who has made you a manager of all of his blessings, made himself the lowest, to carry your sin in mind, and to promise to you and to me that you have an eternity, an eternal treasure that goes beyond anything that this world could offer, an eternity, an eternal treasure that goes beyond even what, even what Jeff Bezos or the founder of Patagonia would be able to amass. You've got a promise from your Lord 
that doesn't end in this life, as all the promises of money do. You have a promise from your Lord that he will bring you into eternal dwellings. Amen.